three. It is a magic number, almost mystical. Why? Well, it forms a triangle and three in a triangle means it's the most strongest shape. That was terrible. Let's try that again. Counting down five, four, three. It is a magical, mystical number. It's the atomic number for the element lithium. And according to Pythagoras, the number three is called the triad, the noblest of all digits, as it's the only number to equal the sum of all terms below it. It's also the strongest structure in engineering. And let's just throw pop culture in there. It was the number for Babe Ruth, Ken Griffey Jr., and Alex Rodriguez. And coincidentally, the number of this episode of 501C3 Companion. Fellas, cue the music and let's get started. All right, we are back and ready to rock. Guys, this is our third episode. Quick show of hands for our listening audience of who's excited. For all the audience, Matt put up one I think hand. That's three people. Right, Matt put up one, I put up one, and Nick put up two hands. Boy, I got to tell you, Nick is doubly excited. So I'm going to just start with Nick. Nick is, um, well, he is kind of our technical genius. Nick, give a quick introduction to yourself and what role you play on the 501C3 Companion Show. I pretend to be a computer enthusiast, technology, website guru, Google Analytics, Maven, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Technology geek. That's me. Nick, that was an oddly robotic voice that you started with as well. I'm not sure if you did that with irony or just happened. It's the magic. It's the magic of a uh, podcast. It's not fair. You keep throwing me off with your good intro. <laughs> and then if Nick raised two hands and he was that excited, Matt is half as excited because he only raised one hand. Matt, tell him who you are. Howdy, I am Matt and I am your marketer. I have a background in technology. Today we're going to talk about CRM when I used to write CRM software for IBM. So that'll be a fun conversation. But nowadays I am a digital marketer and that's what I do and that's what I share. That is terrific. Guys, I'm so glad to be joining you as a content strategist. Uh, I think about content. I love content. I plan content. I create content. And this episode and is all about grows. content and the content groweth. And the, this episode is all about content. So I'm super, super excited. And let's just get into it. We're going to cover some news. We've got a small topic section of best practices, and then Matt will take us home with the topic of the month. But let's start with charity news. Guys, I set you a link to something near and dear to my own heart, because as I've always told you, the most valuable card in my wallet is my library card. And there is an initiative to ensure that libraries are well-funded. So we should note, we found this on our own, nobody sponsors us, but I found library futures to be fascinating because what they are trying to do is to ensure that their foundation provides digital materials for a digital age and digital learning to ensure that knowledge is spread equally amongst people. What was your thoughts when you guys saw this article in Publishers Weekly about library futures uh, as a 501c3? I'll let you go first because, well, Nick, you want to go first? You go first. Sure. I mean, I thought it was uh, valuable. I mean, I, I've been a, a member of my, you know, town's library for 20 years. Um, I take advantage of a lot of the digital uh, 
uh, assets that my local library has. It's part of the Westchester County up here in New York, just north of New York City. Um, so there's a lot, lots of resources available. And I think, you know, one of their missions to, you know, kind of ensure that, uh, I think they said that the uh, kind of the digital follows along with the analog and, and, and doing things to ensure that continues, I think it's a great thing. I agree with you, Nick. I, I'm, a, I'm a frequent patron of my local library, and, and especially during COVID when libraries closed, you realize just how important a digital collection was. Mm -hmm. And it felt in my mind like it could easily fall to the haves and the have-nots. You know, I was lucky enough to have an iPad, and I'm lucky enough to mm -hmm. have a Kindle. I have both. So I was able to download resources from the library, but they were limited. They didn't have a huge selection, and often they just focused on the pop culture favorites. But I love that Library Futures is looking at this and saying, look, the future generation, particularly young people, may not have access to um, you know, a fancy device and may not be able to have access to even get to a library, but they all have phones. They can, they can use this to be able to accrue knowledge, share knowledge, and continue to grow. And I think that this, uh, this charity is very exciting because of that. I, I agree. And, you know, we definitely love the local library over here. You don't realize how much is really there. These groups are constantly evolving in their offering. In some cases, you can get tickets to museums, mm -hmm. right? You can, you know, check them out and go to a museum. Wow, that's an experience. That's not just a book, right? That's, they have magazines, they have games, they have audio. Um, I think you mentioned have and have not for iPad. I think they do lend out devices in some cases, right? I, I believe that's the case too. Um, you know, and, and you know, it, it's just a fantastic program. We go there um, during the summer every week and the kids put, pick out a pile of books and they keep that, that pile of books in a bag that we bring with us wherever we're going, if we're at the beach or at practice of some sort. And they just pull from that pile of books and they read and then we bring them back next week and we get another pile of books. And it's a, it's a great thing. They love going and finding stuff and discovering stuff and checking things out. A lot of great programs there. But imagine Matt, if perhaps we grew up in an area where we weren't quite as fortunate. I mean, we are right. quite fortunate. And perhaps the nearest library was not minutes away, but an hour or more <laughs> away. And they weren't well funded. And the nearest library did not share books that were, let's face it, you know, more than just the latest pop culture bestsellers. Maybe somebody had a, a keen interest in some historical or scientific, yep. but they couldn't get access to it. And I remember the old times of the libraries, the, I only had a library card to one small library and we were limited to what was there. And after I had read every book on Norse mythology, I kid you not, every book on Norse mythology. I thought you were going to stop at every book. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was fascinated by Norse mythology because from Marvel Comics, Thor, I found out it was Norse mm -hmm. mythology. I wanted to read everything about Thor and Loki. And after I read, I must have been the four books they had. They were like, try Greek mythology. I'm like, nah. they were like, what about Asian mythology? Nah, I just want to read about Thor. But, you know, had I had access as a kid, I could have continued to dive down that uh, realm of exploration and maybe discovered something else. But it was limited by books and print at that point. And I love that they are taking an opportunity to say, we're going to keep broadening this out and ensuring that libraries, here's the key thing, they have to buy these individually. Each town buys an e-book individually and making sure that these books are shared across counties and states 
to increase knowledge. I think knowledge is an advantage in life and in a career. And why not give people an opportunity? I really, I love this charity. Yeah. Can I, but did you see the bottom of that article? Did Which you catch one? what they said right at the bottom of the article about the internet archive is currently being sued by a group of major publishers over its program to scan and lend PDF copies of library books. Interesting, right? Well, I mean, you know, part of the problem with the Internet Archive is they were, well, I'm not a legal expert, but I, what I read of it, no, what I read of it was that they were not respecting the proper copyrights of the copyright holders. Now, the, the, this Library Futures seems to be saying, look, if that's the law, we'll follow the law. We have to find a way to get those prices down. Sure. But they were not, because from what I've understood that, that that initiative was kind of akin to piracy. And I don't know that for sure. No, nah, I think they were scanning and you know, right. That's the Internet Archive. But I mean, I, I like it, right? So just like MP3s, you know, the the idea led the way, may not have been done in the right way. Figure out DRM digital rights management and make it work because it's something that is important and something we did. And hopefully this is the next version, which is the make it work version, right? Right. And, and, you know, you know, we're all technologists and sometimes we get our hands on old technology and he pretends library... to be one, right? Is that what you think? Well, no, Nick pretends, Nick pretends to, to know technology. Um, but, you know, imagine you had an old computer or an old OS or an old software and you just wanted to play with it. Well, li it doesn't pay for libraries to keep old, old computer books, but it may be beneficial to keep some of them on digital file. And I think we're, we can see this going as saying, look, this old tech, it might be worth holding on to the knowledge base of how they built it. Matt, you've talked often about this, about digitizing your photos. I, ha I mean, probably my worst fear about modern technology is one day, two or three generations from now, you know, my great grandkids are going to find my iPhone and be like, what is this old thing and throw it out. And they won't know the amount of movies and music and pictures and memories that are on it. And they'll have no way to get them off. Right? right. So, I mean, you know, here we do like to actually print out, you know, monthly or quarterly, um, you know, photo books so that we have them in tangible because the way media is these days, what's ownership, right? I mean, yeah. what does that look like? And it's what is physical. libraries? It's a question. What is library? What is lending when it, when it's just a digital asset? And I think, listen, I, I I'm the author of books. I have published six books, and I do want libraries to respect the copyright. I want them to get into the most number of hands. I want them to be able to afford it. Yeah. But the flip side is, is no piracy is not okay by me. Yeah. So no, no, I agree with you. you. You give you give that talk every year at Comic Con, right? I mean, right. Uh, you know, piracy is no good. You don't want piracy because that's the opposite side of the coin, which is then somebody's going to say, "Why am I creating?" <laughs> you know, right. you, I I do think people should be rewarded for their art. Um, you know, rewarded for their creativity. Absolutely. You know, and like you said, you you publish those books, but if it's done well and it's done the right way, it's a great resource. And hopefully, that's what this is. It is a great resource. So, you know, I'm excited about this. Uh, the Actually, article I wrote- They're great resources. Well, yeah, if they buy my books, it's even even better resource. I, sometimes I ask Nick to just send me money. He never does, but anyway, uh, the article was uh, featured in Publishers Weekly and um, you can find details about this at libraryfutures.net. That's libraryfutures.net. And they, they, they look kind of new. There's not a lot up there. There's a short, 
couple of quick blog posts, but it looks like they're just getting started. So I'm going to be watching them with interest because again, this is something that I care deeply about. And I, and I, and I do believe that uh, knowledge sharing is the way to a more effective society, democracy, and uh, helps us all really. Great. Yeah. All right, that all right. was an awkward pause. So um, let's continue on. Um, I, was, I was really excited uh, about the next one because I think we should start thinking about best practices. And Nick, I'm gonna, I'm gonna point to you on this. Uh, we found a website uh, called the Looking Glass Animal Rescue. Uh, and it had a very interesting best practice. Nick, can you just talk a little bit about uh, what you saw on this website and why it was a best practice? Um, so one of the things I thought they did well is, you know, with their, uh, I guess along with their, their donate button, they talked about, you know, where the money would go, what the types of things that it could be used for. Yeah. And I think that helps people. And I think we talked about it in either last week's or the week before, uh, you know, not knowing where your money's going to go and being concerned about it. So um, uh, besides, I mean, obviously I like the, the, the mission as well, being a pet owner, um, rescuing uh, both of my, my pets were not rescues from a shelter like this, but people who couldn't take care of their dogs. So uh, that's, you know, those are the types of dogs we, we look for. So I just think the way they did it, again, going back to, you know, the donate button is telling people how they can spend, where their money will go once they, once they donate. So I thought that was really nice. Yeah, and I like the story they tell in here, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you take a look and just like you said, they tell you how it's going to be used. $25 for, will get you a wellness mm -hmm. exam for an animal up to, $100 for spay and neuter, um, you know, all up to $1,000 will provide everything an animal live, needs to live a quality life. And, you know, I think it's great, you know, when they put that around, you know, believe in possible things. Uh, I think they did a good job. They did do a good job. And, and you know, when you donate money, and, and we all have donated money from time to time, and, you know, I think we're, we're all a soft touch for puppy eyes. Um, when you see, they, they have a, a series of tiers where you can go like 25, 50, 100, 250, 500, 1,000. They were nice, even increments. It was very clear what you'd get, you know, dental cleaning 250 and you go, okay, that's fair. I think when you understand their narrative and where they're going to apply it, you feel good about it. And I too, Nick, uh, got um, all, actually all of our dogs mm -hmm. um, out of rescues. And we always made a donation, but we never really knew where the donation was. But right here, somebody can click into the Looking Glass Animal Rescue and donate money. And I think that that's a good best practice that mm -hmm. uh, 501c3s should be thinking about, which is being clear about how they're going to spend the money that you donate. Agreed. All right, so where can they find them? So uh, we're about to go on to the next section, but I do want to note you can go find Looking Glass Animal Rescue. Once again, we are not taking any funding from anybody or at this point, this is just, you know, what we discover. That's L-G-A-R-I-N-C-O-R-G. So remember, if, you, if it's Looking Glass Animal Rescue, right, it's just an acronym, Looking Glass Animal Rescue, Inc.org. It's, uh, I, I would say, perhaps, guys, maybe in best practices, find a URL that's a little easier to share. The Elgar Inc. org is a little tricky. Sure. 
So it is a good tip. It is a good tip. Something easy, easy, even if it's longer. If we can buy the domain looking glass and donate it. Yeah, I think that might help them. Um, but speaking of best practices, Matt, you are about to give some best practice advice to charities, because I think a lot of the people who join charities and participate are well-intentioned. Maybe they have a background in whatever it is. Maybe they have a background with animals or library sciences, but often they are promoting on the internet. And when they get there, they might not be doing the best job they can for the organizations that they represent. And I think the topic you've chosen tonight, Matt, is something around uh, retention and CRM and other magic words that a lot of people don't know. So can you drop some knowledge, give us some info and advice for our uh, listeners? Specifically, please and thank you. Those are the magic words. <laughs> That's it. That's perfect. Yeah, I mean, a little more of that will go a long way. Um, so yeah, we're going to talk today about uh, list buying and CRM. And why that's important is because, uh, you know, the, as a professional marketer, as I'm looking into a lot of the work that we do, uh, you know, there's a real build it and they will come mentality, right? So you build your website, you set it up and you say, okay, wait for people to walk through the door. And then you do, you get 10, right? <laughs> say that was a lot of work for 10 people and so you want to send out an email so you put an email subscribe and you sign up for a free account at MailChimp and you embed it on your site and you say sign up people you get one or two or three you just want more right you want to get more so what's the shortcut that a lot of people take and a lot of professional organizations can take and and how can you take it and that's list buying but there's a lot of ways to do list buying, right? I mean, you people think about list buying as like kind of scamming sometimes, but it's not. You know, you're not sending spam emails. If you do it well, which is why I'm combining list buying with CRM, because you want to do it well. The goal of marketing is not a big shotgun blast out to everybody and see who hits, right? We're not, you know, telemarketers trying to get money for a prince, right? <laughs> we're, 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 we're people who are trying to get content to somebody who's interested in it at a time when they are interested in seeing it in a way that they're interested in seeing it. So list buying is one of the ways to do it. And it can be a little bit complex because many people don't realize that there's actually three different ways to do it, right? The first thing you can do, oh, look, I got your interest there. Right. The, <laughs> right. The first thing you can do is more like a media buy, right? You find a site that sells access to their group of people, their cohort of people that are on their site. And this may be somebody's blog. This may be like a WebMD where people come to. This could be MedPage today. This could be a lot of different groups that will sell you the ability. They normally sell, send out a newsletter. They will sell you the ability to give them content that they will include in their newsletter. And oftentimes that can be an inexpensive way to go. They'll tell you exactly who it's going to. They'll give you the circulation, much like a newspaper. Buddy, you're familiar with newspapers, right? Understand who the demographics are. Go ahead. Oh, understand who the demographics are. Understand, you know, what we're communicating to whom. And it's a lot of times people, and you may be able to find something, charity, um, related, or in this case, something pets related, maybe with Petco or magazine or something else, so you can get that media buy. And that's one way to get a list that takes you from those two or three people 
to catapult you into a thousand or ten thousand or thirty thousand or a hundred thousand access immediately. And it's a little bit of a spend, but the payoff is often fairly well. The second way to do it is called a rented list. Well, I'm going to skip that. I'm going to buying a buying a list. You literally find one of these online retailers, try and find a reputable one, do your diligence. If it's a deal that's too good to be true, it probably is. There's a lot of people out there who just scrape the internet to find email addresses and then sell them to you. A lot of times you'll try and send an email to that list, find out that most of them are no good or opting out or not who you want. If you find a reputable list vendor, you can buy the list. You can then send to the list. Once you buy it, that's yours. You want to get opt-ins, but there's a heavy lift associated with that because you now have to manage that list, own it. You have privacy rules that you have to conform to. All sorts of other things about holding the data. It's a little bit difficult using a free service like MailChimp or something like that will help you get through it. But then the third way is a rented list. Rented lists are halfway between a purchase list and somebody that you don't really have access to, like buying it from some sort of aggregator like MidPage Today or WebMD or something like that, right? This is you rent a list, you pay for access to the list, you have a limited access to the list for a certain period of time. And after that period of time, you lose access to the list. That's often a good way to get started in your web traffic, to get started in your CRM, right? So that's a rented list, it's halfway. It can be, again, a little tricky if you're gonna get the list. Oftentimes you want the list vendor to hold on to it so you don't have to deal with privacy data. You don't have to deal with opt-outs, you don't have to deal with these things. But if you can, you want to take these lists and you wanna put it into what's called customer relationship. And the reason I combine these two, a CRM model, a customer relationship model, a lot of people think about it as email, which is how I'm talking about it in context, but it doesn't have to be. When these things come together, you want to have a good list with a good communication. Buddy talks a lot about content strategy, a lot about content journeys. What CRM does is it brings those things together. You're taking a database, a customer relationship management CRM database, and you're combining people with content. And that content can trigger. You can do it in a couple of ways. You can influence live interactions, right? So I can tell somebody who's going out in sales to who they're going to, what the past history of somebody is, whether or not they've donated before, if they have an interest in pets, right? You don't always want to be introducing yourself if they already know who you are. There's a content journey right there. It can influence your online channel. Email is one, but a company like Demandbase will help you recognize people when they come to your website, seemingly anonymously, you can run that up against your list and deliver the right content for that part of the journey. Or third party, somebody goes and searches on something on a third party site. There is something like DMD who has a cookie over there that triggers an email that sends out from there that says, hey, buddy just went to marvel.com and searched on something that triggered an email. And that's, um, call the transactional email, right? So the two ways you're gonna send is an email blast. I don't know what that is, that's, you know, you can try and segment, you can try and segmenting being creating a cohort or group of people, some level of demographic, could be income, could be geographic, could be any number of things, but you ultimately wanna get down to as small a segment as you can, ultimately one. If you can get down to understanding what that one person needs or wants and cross that with Buddy's content journey and content strategy, 
that will get you where you need to go. And I call that end of one marketing. That's transactional. That's combining list purchasing with CRM with technology to get it out. So what can I tell you? Matt, this, this is great. I mean, because I think there are quite a few charities that, that have a list um, and they need to know how to effectively manage the people who have said, I want to make a donation and then they have a relationship. But then sometimes they might find themselves in the, in the unenviable position of not being able to make ends meet and they know they have to mm-hmm. increase that network. So I think what you talked about was, was really important, which was both nurturing what the individual wants, needs, and desires are so that the charity serves their needs and uses the donations effectively, but also yeah. widens the net to ensure that, you know, people who would donate are aware. So Nick, right, like, you know, we, we both care a lot about dogs. And if we knew that there was a charity right in our area that specialized mm-hmm. in the kinds of breeds that we, we love the most, but we don't know because no one's reaching out to us, right? That's right. Um, I had a couple of thoughts on, on what Matt said and, you know, uh, purchasing lists in particular, um, you know, a lot of pitfalls. I mean, you mentioned Matt, uh, MailChimp, they help you. And again, I'm coming from the technology side, but it struck me. Um, they'll help you with the, uh, kind of the legalese, the can spam act where you're not supposed to send email to people who don't want it, uh, opt in and opt out what those things mean. People have to kind of, you know, give you their approval before you email them. Uh, and there's, those are tricky things to, to manage, but, uh, purchasing the list and Matt, you said it, um, uh, could be risky, right? If you, if you buy a list, that's from uh, somebody who's not reputable, not only can it just give you a lot of bounce backs and not be worth the money, it could actually hurt you, hurt your reput- reputation. You could get blocked by, uh, internet service providers. Um, they'll know that the, these emails are coming from somewhere not, not reputable. So I'd say stay away from purchase lists that are not from somebody super reputable. So that's one of the things, again, more from the tech side of it. Um, you will pretty much get blacklisted. You don't want to do that. Yeah, um, be careful, right? You got to be careful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and one of the things that I've discovered, Nick, that uh, now we won't talk about it in depth here, but it's worth mentioning, you know, many websites are built on WordPress. I have a few mm-hmm. as well. And where you have membership, you have open registration. And every single day, mm-hmm. we're just battling bots that are yes. registering instantly. So, you know, you hit it to a big enough list, yeah. you're going to start to attract those bots. And now you've got a different headache, which is how do you weed through the legitimate and the spam registrations so all and all of a sudden you've you've gotten uh, you know 25 new followers and you know a thousand percent more work of keeping up with your website look you're freaking people out here it can be done well though i want to leave it positive right because the the positive side of it if you do do it well if you do do it right if you use a reputable vendor uh, reputable vendor what you can do is you can get yourself from very little traffic to more traffic reasonably quickly. And what that's going to do for you is that's going to prime the pump, right? That's going to get the flywheel spinning, right? That's going to get you moving because your initial, just a couple of pieces of traffic, you know, people of traffic is going to take a really long time. Get 10 people, you know, a hundred percent growth is 20 people, right? Mm. (laughs) You know, you, you got to do something to get it moving. You got to do something to get your SEO triggered, to get everything up, because the more traffic you can generate, the better you'll do. And I'm I, 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 but I agree with you. Reputably. That's right, Matt. I think that's, that's the important the thing. Yeah. yeah, I think because I, I think doing it right is, it, it requires asking someone who may have this expertise. I mean, 
you know, you're giving out some free advice and you make it sound simple because you do it all the time, sure. but we don't want people to just, you know, what we might call a marketing spray and pray, just shoot no. it wherever and hope it hits the target. And I see that. And I'll give you a great example. You know, I work in the way I work and the way I've always worked. I can go back to, you know, 2003 when can spam first came out, by the way, you know what it stands for? We do, but tell us anyway, Matt. <laughs> Controlling the assault of non-solicited pornography and marketing. Can Spam Act of 2003. It's a federal act that puts marketing emails at the same level as unsolicited pornography. We could do better than that, right? So <laughs> from that day on, no joke, from that day on, I said to myself, we can do better. And we use data and we use target. We use segmenting to ensure that we're using content journeys and good content, clean lists, well-serviced ISPs and, and servers to get content to people who want it. Right? And with that, I hear, the, I hear the background music coming up, guys. That means it's time for us to uh, bid farewell to our, uh, to our listening audience. Uh, I'll begin the closeout by saying thank you to everybody uh, for joining. Um, the, uh, the news items were great. And Matt, the, uh, the knowledge that you dropped today, spot on. Uh, my, since, I've, since I got you on the hot seat, it is very hot. Where can they find this podcast and how can they subscribe to this uh, font of useful knowledge? Well, they can find this podcast at uh, all your podcast needs uh, for Android and iPhone. But if you want to go to the source, you're going to be going to 501c3lookup.org. This is Nick's website that he's done a great job building out to help out 501s. Nick, since we're talking about you, why don't we uh, find out where people can find you on Twitter and all the other places that you habitate? Well, you know, since Matt gave the website, let me give the Twitter handle for 501c3 lookup, which is at 501c3 lookup. And please uh, give us a follow. You know, we will retweet if you're trying to build your audience. We're happy to help out. That's what we're all about. Where can they find you, Nick? Nick, me, I, at if Nick, they want, Nick underscore Rufa. At Nick underscore Rufa. If they want more Nick Rufa, they yes, can find you at more. More, more Nick. And Matt, where can they find more Matt? Because I know that uh, some of them are going to be like, I want to learn more about this marketing Well, stuff. I, my website is MatthewBaylor.com. You can find me there. It has links to all my social media channels. I prefer LinkedIn. I think it's a great professional place to communicate in the groups. Uh, but you can also find me on Twitter at M-B-A-L-O-G-H, M-B-A-L-O. That is fantastic. And uh, as the music begins to swell a little bit louder, you can find me at Buddy Scalera just about everywhere you look. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and even my website are all the same thing, buddyscalera.com. Thank you so much, fellas, for the, uh, for the podcasting world. We look forward to seeing you uh, for episode four. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks.